1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Before we get started, we're talking about the new Michael Jackson documentary on today's show. That means we're going to be talking about child sexual abuse. Nothing graphic, but I wanted to give you a heads up. One of the most popular things Seth Stevenson ever wrote for Slate were these dispatches from the Michael Jackson trial.
1: So when the trial was announced there was a lot of media interest of course in covering the trial everyone thought it was going to be a circus and who knows what's going to happen and maybe Macaulay Culkin is going to testify
0: with an umbrella a white suit bejeweled vest spats and a wave to hundreds of fans Michael Jackson came to court determined to be found not guilty
1: and more we're going to get this behind the scenes peek at wacko jacko and all you know all, what life is like in Neverland and it was approached as entertainment You know, I'll tell you, Ron, just when you think you've seen everything with regard to Michael Jackson, he pulls another stunt, shows up in his pajama bottoms in
0: court. I'm not quite sure how well that went over with the judge.
1: And And that's how I pitched it at Slate, you know, to my editors, like, I want to go out here and cover this trial because it's going to be hugely entertaining. And so I went out to Santa Maria, where the courthouse was in in Neverland District in 2005. I stayed in like the one... Decent hotel, you know, and this is a small town. I ate at the Jack in the Box, and I went to the trial every day, and I would walk through these throngs of Michael Jackson fans outside the courthouse. And then I covered it, and I was in the room every day, you know, sitting about ten feet away from Michael Jackson at the defense table. And uh, it was a circus in some sense because there was so much media there and everyone was doing their hits on TV and the fans are chanting things and waving signs. And Michael Jackson, every time he shows up, it's a huge event and he's wearing these crazy clothes. I mean, and so I wrote about it like it was a circus. And I wrote about it in a lighthearted way and cracked jokes and talked about what he was wearing. And I just continued to do that. And then when he was found not guilty, it allowed people to treat it like entertainment.
0: This trial was about a horrific crime. Michael Jackson was accused of molesting a 13-year-old boy, holding his family hostage. But Seth's updates were an especially insightful version of a lot of the coverage back then, full of humor. He introduced readers to superfans outside the courthouse and wisecracking journalists inside it. He always started by revealing what Michael's armband looked like that day.
1: It was partly me and how young I was then, but I think it's partly the times and and partly the facts on the ground. I, I don't know, but I would, reading it now, I'm like, what are you doing, cracking jokes? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Readers love this, by the way. This was very successful. This was like very clicky, 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 and lots and lots of emails about how great it was. When I took a pause, people were like, go back, go back. And reading it now, I'm like, wow, that's what people wanted.
0: HBO's new documentary, Leaving Neverland, is going to test whether this is the story people still want. It's filled with detailed allegations of more abuse. Okay, so when you heard that this documentary, Leaving Neverland, was coming out, what did you think?
1: Uh, When I heard it was Wade Robson specifically talking about being molested by Michael Jackson, the first thing I thought about was sitting in a courtroom and watching Wade Robson say to me and many other people that he had not been molested by Michael Jackson. He seemed very believable when he denied any of this had happened when I watched him in the courtroom, so I was just eager to see his manner and see who this guy was who I saw when he was 22, and now, you know, he's in his late 30s, I think.
0: Was there a moment where you were like, I believe what he's saying?
1: Watching the documentary, absolutely, and it didn't take long. Um, It didn't take long, the way he talked, the way he described things was extremely believable and credible. And then watching James Safechuck, the other person who's in the documentary, corroborate a lot of the same stories, the the same things that Michael Jackson had done, very believably. Yeah, I believe him 100 percent. I have no doubt that he's telling the truth. To
0: me, it was all the details. It was like the fact that James Safechuck takes out a box of jewelry that Michael Jackson gave him. And it was each of them talking about all of the places the abuse happened. You know, like, this room had locks, and this room had bells, and this is um, how we practice to not get caught.
1: Yeah. That James Safechuck taking out the box of jewelry and his hands shaking as he displayed each ring that Michael Jackson seemingly gave him for sex acts, that was the most powerful moment in documentary for me and just made it utterly credible, utterly believable what he was saying.
0: This is the point where I should tell you that the Jackson family says the men in this documentary are lying. They say this is a posthumous character assassination. But to me, the trick of this film is that it neatly separates Michael Jackson, the musician, from Michael Jackson, the man, and forces you to grapple with the plainly creepy facts of his personal life. I mean, it struck me in the documentary, there's almost none of his music. It's extensively scored with his strings, I think, and, you know, sort of classical music. But seeing him divorced from his music sort of allows you to separate your vision of him in a certain way. Like, that's how I felt, where you could see him apart from everything he carries with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that documentary was really about Michael Jackson. I think that documentary was uh, about what it's like to be a survivor of abuse, what child molestation does to someone even, you know, 10, 20 years later, and how it affects them and how it continues to evolve within them and how they deal with it. I think that's really what it was about. And Michael Jackson just happened to be the monstrous figure in the background.
0: I wanted to talk to Seth about the Leaving Neverland documentary. Because he's been covering Michael Jackson for years, trying to peel back the layers of artifice and see the real man underneath. And if you're watching this film, you probably want to talk about it with someone. I know I did. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stay with us. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Leaving Neverland is built around interviews with two men, James Safechuck and Wade Robson, who say Michael Jackson abused them for years when they were kids. And that's how the story starts.
1: He was at the peak of his creativity, and he was at the peak of his success, when everybody wanted to meet Michael or be with Michael. He was already larger than life, and then he likes you. He helped me tremendously, he helped me with my career, he helped me with my creativity, with all of those sorts of things. And he also sexually abused me for seven years.
0: Over the next four hours, these two men tell you that Jackson groomed them to be his sexual companions, and that he groomed their families to be accomplices. He showered their mothers with gifts and financial favors whenever they would bring their children to him at his secluded, sprawling ranch, Neverland. The documentary is at once momentous and narrow. Momentous because it features hours of tape from two men who spent years defending Jackson. Narrow because there is no response from the Michael Jackson estate, no defense, obviously, from the late Jackson himself, and no interviews with the people who already accused Jackson in court. One of the things that stood out to me about this documentary, watching it, is how surrounded Michael Jackson was by children. And there, there's like video after video, whether it's him leading individual children around Neverland or whether it's huge... Audiences of children, whether it's children on stage with him and how they were like this theme in his art, but then also how this was in plain sight for a long time, like what was going on with him. How many times was he accused of child abuse?
1: So there's the Jordy Chandler 1993 accusation, which was settled reportedly. You see reports of up to $25 million settlement for that. And then the Gavin Arviso accusation, which resulted in the 2005 trial that I covered.
0: But I mean, what you're saying is like, this was out there. There was one kid, there was another kid, and then there was this trial that you covered. And um, both of the men in this documentary were deeply involved with defending Michael Jackson whenever these charges came up.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, James Safechuck testified in the uh, reportedly testified in the 1993, the Geordie Chandler accusation that was settled for millions of dollars. And he testified on Michael Jackson's behalf. Wade Robson testified then. Wade Robson came back in the 2005 trial and took the stand and testified and on behalf of Michael Jackson and said nothing happened.
0: Can you take me to the day when Wade Robson came in and because it was the you said he was the first witness, you know, you'd spent how long listening to the prosecution's case?
1: I was there the day that the prosecution rested its case and it was a long case with like day after day of, you know, chain of custody evidence and fingerprinting and 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 just, you know, a, a lot of forensic stuff. They finally rest, and they don't have hard evidence. They have a, a credible accuser. They have a lot of smoke. Um, they have this, a maid who testified that she'd seen Michael Jackson shower with Wade Robson. But a lot of it is circumstantial, but there's you know there's a ton of circumstantial evidence, a ton of suggestion that untoward things were happening. So now it's the defense's turn. They put up their very first witness, and it's Wade Robson. And he comes into the courtroom with his fiance on his arm. They're both extremely, you know, attractive, put together, well-dressed people, well-groomed.
0: And he comes with a resume. Like, he's NSYNC's choreographer, right? He's
1: already sort of a mini-celebrity, right? He's already like the guy in, when Justin Timberlake sings in Cry Me a River, you know, uh, about Britney Spears. Like, it's Wade Robson. Wade Robson's the guy. I already know. I heard it from him. That's Wade Robson. He's already pretty famous. He's been doing these massive, you know, dance choreography things. So he's got a career. And you have to think as he takes the stand with, you know, with his attractive fiancé and his, his booming career, well, this guy seems pretty well-adjusted, right? It, it, it seems like this guy wasn't derailed by some horrible thing that happened to him. He seems like he's doing great. Takes the stand, he's very confident, he's very at ease. He's cracking jokes, he's funny. And you have to think, well, is this the guy who's the survivor of some sort of like life-changing trauma? It doesn't seem that way. And then he you know, asserts with utter conviction That nothing happened. I was sold. I was sold that nothing happened to him. I I 100% believed him in that moment, watching him, and I could see. You know, I could look him in the eye. I was sitting like you know four rows back, um, looking at him on the witness stand, and I, I I bought it. I bought it. And I you know I was still agnostic on Michael Jackson's guilt. You know, it could be that Michael Jackson didn't molest Wade Robson, but Michael Jackson did molest you know the accuser in the trial or molest somebody else, but. I was sold at the end of that testimony that Michael Jackson had not molested Wade Robson. Hmm.
0: It's not just that Wade Robson, who's half of this documentary, Leaving Neverland, it's not just that he testified, it's that his mother testified, it's that his sister testified. And you were in the courtroom watching them do this. And at the time, you said how believable they all were.
1: They were extremely believable. They seemed like this happy, well-adjusted, normal family and Joy Robson is Wade Robson's mom, and and she took the stand and and said, of course, Michael Jackson would never do anything like this. Neverland is such a happy place. I love playing with the chimpanzees there. And then you watch the documentary, and you see how Michael Jackson so strategically targeted these families, the the kids and the parents, and how he sort of bought off the parents with financial stuff. You know, he he bought a car for James Safechuck. I mean, he bought a house for James Safechuck's mom. He bought a car for Joy Robson, Wade Robson's mom in the trial the prosecution brought up the fact that Michael Jackson helped Joy Robson with her immigration status coming from Australia and she talks in the documentary about how they were they were living this life of luxury being you know flown around by Michael Jackson and staying in really nice hotel suites and she seemed to love it she seemed to want to be a part of that and then she takes the stand in 2005 Joy Robson does and she accuses Jordy Chandler's mom, this kid who had settled in, in 1993, she accuses his mom of being a gold digger and says, oh, I would see her around at Neverland. And, and and the quote was, I thought she wanted to be Mistress of Netherland, and she was trying to use Michael. I thought she was a gold digger. And then you watch this documentary, and you see all the financial benefits Joy Robson was reaping from having you know her son be in Michael Jackson's life. The other thing I remember, the trial that they brought up um, with regard to Joy Robson was, one night, Michael Jackson called very late and asked her to bring over Wade Robson, and Joy Robson brought Wade over. At
0: 1.30 in the at morning. At
1: in the morning, and they went straight to Michael Jackson's bedroom together. And, and again, like I don't want to question her when she says that she, didn't, she thought nothing was happening, but what, you know... What's going through your head when you? It's like a booty call. I mean, you when you what, what goes through your head when you bring your kid over to a grown man's house at one in the morning and deliver him right into his bedroom?
0: Well, you're you're putting your finger on something really important because you're talking about the money. I think a lot of people are talking about the fame and sort of the spell that's cast by the fame, and I want to talk about that too. I think that's important. But it seems to me that the original sin, if there is one here, is the commodification of children. Whether you're talking about Michael Jackson himself or whether you're talking about the children, now men, in this documentary, there was there was this one moment that really stood out to me where it was Jimmy Safechuck's mom. This is one of the men who's coming forward and accusing Michael Jackson of abuse. And she talks about how he wanted to be an actor, or a model, and, you know, he was so cute. And they took him to an agent or someone, and she looked at this small boy who was probably like seven and said, He's money in the bank. I'll take him. And to me, that was like the beginning of it all, where, you know, whether you were the Jackson Five and the Jackson family or whether you were Jimmy Safechuck's family, when you start equating your child with something transactional in that way, it opens the door to all kinds of abuse.
1: Yeah, and you, and you could see in the documentary, Joy Robson sees her son Wade as like a ticket to a new life. She uses... Wade's relationship with Michael Jackson and Wade's, you know, talented dancing as a way to get out of Australia to come to Los Angeles as a way to get out of her family to sort of break up her marriage and escape from a marriage that she didn't seem to be hugely thrilled about. And you can see this like excitement in her eyes about this new life. Her son is a ticket to mm. a new life, and she's going to ride it for all it's worth. And she just continues to do that. It's so transactional with Michael Jackson. I mean, it's, it's like the
0: yeah. I looked back at all of your dispatches from when you were watching this trial, and they give a really fascinating picture for what was happening there. And there's a lot of things from your dispatches that are echoed back, you know, years later in this documentary. You said the prosecution is painting this disturbing picture in which moms jockey for status at Neverland by offering up their little boys. Michael's fickle with his attention. He moves on to a new special friend every year or so. That's like directly from the documentary. The mom's now saying that this is what happened. They noticed every year there would be a new boy.
1: Yeah. The portrait that the prosecution is painting is that these moms are pimping out their sons to Michael Jackson for their own benefit. And when you see the documentary, that's exactly what they were doing. I mean, that's exactly how it worked out they you know delivering your kid at 1am to michael jackson because you know if you do that you'll continue to reap the benefits of michael jackson's favor you know as long as you're in michael jackson's good graces your life is going to be radically different than it would be if you were just like you know a, a woman living in australia you know working in a regular job so and that and the attachment the tether to michael jackson is the kid and if the kid's not there, well, Michael Jackson doesn't care about Joy Robson. What you know, how's Joy Robson going to continue living this celebrity lifestyle without the kid being in the mix? So, I, 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 you know, all of the motivations for her are just terrible. And then she indulges them all.
0: Hmm. But so much of it, so much of this was known during that trial. You know, reading back on what you'd written, you talk about how Debbie Rowe... Michael Jackson's ex-wife, she didn't testify to this effect, but the police testified that she told them Michael Jackson was a sociopath and he used children as tools or saw them as commodities. It just seems like the evidence was all there. And part of what's heartbreaking about watching the documentary is realizing that, you know, 15 years ago, this was out there, basically. Raid Robson wasn't out there, but a lot of this was out there.
1: There was all of this very fishy evidence that certainly a reasonable person could say, well, oh, it's obvious that Michael Jackson is a pedophile. It's very clear. At the same time, in that 2005 trial, I really think the prosecution botched the case. I mean, they, they failed to prove that that particular accuser had been molested. They had his testimony. But other than that, they didn't have any hard evidence. And the defense's case, that this is someone gouging Michael Jackson for money. These are people making false accusations against a rich person because they're trying to get money out of it. Well, you know, there were a lot of ways they could bolster that case. The previous accuser had settled for many, many millions of dollars. This accuser's family, Gavin Arviso's family in the 2005 trial, they had previously built money out of other celebrities. But the most important evidence in that trial is Wade Robson taking the stand and saying, This never happened. I was never molested. Michael Jackson, it was completely innocent. I slept in his bed night after night, and nothing happened. Oh, yeah, the maid at Neverland testified that she saw me in the shower with Michael Jackson. That never happened. I never took a shower with Michael Jackson. And then Macaulay Culkin also took the stand and said, nothing happened, even though, you know, I'd been around Michael Jackson. Brett Barnes, this third person, this third uh, kid who'd been a little kid around Michael Jackson for a long time and slept in his bed, said nothing happened. Macaulay Culkin and Brett Barnes actually still deny that anything happened. That was why Michael Jackson was found not guilty.
0: Well, I keep thinking about the moment we're in now and how we talk a lot about believing victims and which we should. We should believe victims. But then the question becomes, when do we believe victims? And is that enough? Because Wade Robson seems to have been a victim. And you believed him the first time when he said Michael Jackson didn't molest him. And now you believe him the second time when he says he did. And it shows me how complicated that idea is and how imperfect, frankly.
1: Yeah. And the, and the first time he was under oath, right? In some ways that, that should be more believable. He was under penalty of perjury. He was in a legal setting when he lied that time. I think victimhood is a is very, very complicated state to be in and causes you to do, behave in all sorts of ways that might be unpredictable and
0: it is complicated. But it's it's one of these things where it's like who do we believe? When do we believe them? When is it enough? And like when is it enough to clear out the smoke? You raised this really interesting point, which is true, which is the Jackson Estate is not part of this. This is really a four hour not monologue, but almost from the victims. And as a journalist I have really complicated feelings about that because I do think it's unfair to not get response from the people you're accusing of something. But at the same time, having watched the documentary, I can also see how it's the only way to elevate their voices as loud as Michael Jackson's voice. It's not journalistic, but at the same time, I wonder if people would see the victims if it weren't for something like this. I mean, the truth is, Wade Robson came out years ago and said, Michael Jackson molested me. No one really paid attention.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, I remember seeing that at the time. And because I'd seen him testify the other way, I was like, well, what is this about? I can't really tell what this is about. And it it seemed to barely make a ripple. And, and nobody changed really the way they thought about Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson didn't get stopped playing on the radio. People didn't stop playing him at their weddings. Nothing happened. I do think this documentary will have much more of an impact because you hear his story at length and isolated.
0: I mean, the the estate says that Wade Robson is after money. Both of these men are.
1: Well, and there's, there's you know, a plausible case to be made. Like, there's there's there, there's enough evidence of, of people seeking money from Michael Jackson around these accusations, right, that it is possible to make that argument. It
0: gets back to the idea of money and how it just complicates the narrative. These folks may be after money, but this may also be true.
1: The documentary leaves out a lot. It leaves out a lot of the things that happened at the trial. It's somewhat misleading. At one point, it's, it seems to implied that Macaulay Culkin testified before Wade Robson, and then Wade Robson came on the stand after Macaulay Culkin. But that's not what happened. I was there. The The prosecution rested. The defense called its first witness. Its first witness was Wade Robson to take the stand. He was the key witness. He was the all-star witness for the defense. And I, part of me wondered, why did the documentary try to imply that Macaulay Culkin had taken the stand first and Wade Robson only came after? Was that to try to sort of soften what he'd done at the trial? He also, in the, in the documentary, they don't really have him grapple very much with his false testimony at that trial. There's a sentence where he says, I wish I'd been in a place where I'd been able to give justice to Gavin Arviso, the accuser. And all I thought was, well, gosh, you know, Gavin Arviso might have deserved a little more than that. And I, I'm not sure in the documentary, for my taste, there was enough grappling with that.
0: Have you been able to listen to any Michael Jackson music since watching the documentary?
1: I've heard it at like grocery stores and it makes me really uncomfortable. And all I can think is, are we going to keep listening to this now? Or how are we going to keep listening to this? And I don't, I didn't listen to it in the same way. I mean, I love his music. I love so much of his music. It's such great music. And, and um, I certainly can't enjoy it in the same way right now.
0: Seth Stevenson, thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through all this. Thank you. Seth Stevenson is a longtime slate contributor. That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. We are back after a teeny tiny little two day break. If you want to know what we were doing during that break, head over to our Instagram. That's What Next Pod. You can help grow the show by leaving us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really read these things. Big thanks to the listener who said I was an insightful interviewer and rather funny at times, too. That made my day. Talk to you tomorrow.